Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodman, your host. Today we're here with Elise Stevens. She was a winner last year in Writers of the Future Volume 35 with her story, Untrained Luck. Welcome, Elise. Thank you, John. I'm happy to be here. The thing I'm really excited about with you specifically is I, I call you my, my favorite mom. <laughs> your, um, your, your story and your whole, what we're going to be talking about centers around that whole mindset of being a mom, being an author, all the, the good, the bad, the ugly connected with that. And although it's almost all good, there's the other side too that you have to deal with to be able to keep it good. So um, first of all, let's just start with you're becoming a writer in the first place. Were you one of the ones that came out of the womb and you had a, you're looking for the pen straight away or <laughs> I I did start telling stories very early on. I wanted to be a visual artist and draw things before mm-hmm. I wanted to be a writer and I think I might have wanted to be a ballerina before that. But <laughs> somewhere around age 10, I was pretty sure that writing was going to be the most interesting vocation. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So um So how to go then from there, from age 10, let's move forward. Oh, goodness. Um, Age 10, I was probably teaching myself to type my stories. And then around high school, I was trying to write novels and showing them to various people and having them read them. And then college, I was studying creative writing at University of Washington. Mm -hmm. And after college, I was trying to figure out what in the world getting published looked like. Um, Oh, goodness. I did some... uh, novels with a small press. um, And that was a lot of practice. And Mm -hmm. then um, I started deciding I really wanted to get into pro pro fields. And I started working on short stories, mainly because I at that point I had kids and I couldn't do long things. So short pieces seemed like a good place to focus my time. Uh Uh-huh. How did you find out about Writers of the Future? I heard about Writers of the Future first through Orson Scott Card in his literary boot camp. And he, we were workshopping short stories, and he said, you all do know that this is the first place you can send them. And then if they reject it, which they probably will, you can send them everywhere else. <laughs> but on the slight chance that they don't reject it, this is a great thing to get. So I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do that first then. So was Untrained Luck your first story? It was my third submission to Writers of the Future. Uh I sent in one, um, and it was pretty quickly rejected. I hadn't read any of the stories, so I didn't know exactly what they were looking for. Um, Then I read at least one of the Writers of the Future copies, which I recommend everyone do if they Mm -hmm. are submitting to the contest. I think it makes a big difference. Um, And so after I read one, I said, okay, now I think I know what they're looking for. And I wrote one, and that received an honorable mention when it was rejected. So I thought, okay, we're getting much closer. And then I set myself a five-year goal of I'm going to submit every single quarter (laughs) to Writers of the Future for five years. And then after that, I will at least be a better writer if they don't take me. And in that process, I sent my third submission. And that was Untrained Luck. And that is the one that won. Which is an amazing story. So when we... uh when we got together to do this uh, this interview, because we did an interview when you were at the awards event, just yes. at, the, at the get-go, it was kind of like you just arrived, and it was like supposition of what was going to happen and a little bit that had happened. So now since that time, first of all, let's just go over a little bit about what was that week like? It was a whirlwind, and it was an awesome whirlwind. Um, 
getting to meet other writers who were interested and writing at the same level I was, was a breath of fresh air. Uh -huh. um, I think finding your people can be really hard and you have mm. to kind of get us condensed before we all can talk and be on exactly the same page. So that was just amazing. Um, getting to learn from um, authors who are not just experts, but who are really interested in teaching young emerging authors in the field um, how to how to do business as a writer, not not just not just how to write. They assume we know how to write by the time we've reached that level. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like they were a bunch of uncles. <laughs> I mean, we get to go out to to lunch with Tim Powers, and and he get he excitedly says, "Now let's gossip," and then he just tells us all of these things about people in the writing business. And it was such a warm kind of like a welcome to the family sort of feel. Uh -huh. And so, you know, I'm, I'll probably start crying or something, but it, it was so warm. And then the the ASI and the Galaxy Press folks, I have uh, multiple times, actually, it's, it's you, you're the example I give. And I said, John was crying when we were practicing our speeches. And just to know that there is that much um, heart and love and desire for our success, it, I just... I just get warm all over and I go, how could I, it was, it was magical and wonderful and I feel like I'm babbling. Yeah. So obviously it was a wonderful experience <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, thank you. So um, anything in particular in the workshop that stands out for you of either on the essays or on the various instructors? One of the essays that stood out to me, I think it was called Story Out of a Hat. That we, magic out of a hat. Magic of a hat. Okay. That we read by um, Mr. Hubbard was, um, I felt like it was a very good professional wake-up call to how you can create fiction out of almost anything in front of you. Right. Um, and he gave a very literal example of, I had this hat, or maybe it looked like a hat. I think it was like a furry trash can. Yeah. And then I took this other thing, and I decided that it was a hat, and it belonged to a Russian soldier. And he created this whole story in a matter of hours, I think, just to, as a, on a bet right. to prove that he could. And watching the him break down the construction process of it, I felt like to some extent, removed my uh, ability to whine about having to write on a deadline. <laughs> Can't do that anymore, Elise. And and also showed that th there are a, a clever writer or a writer who's experienced enough can take those things, pull them together into a story, and actually make it entertaining. Um, it, it takes some perseverance and some awareness, but it, it's very possible. Yeah, um, It doesn't take two months to write a short story. So, and of course they try to amend, immediately show us that by giving us a 24 hour story assignment, which I don't like, but I do it anyway. And then they say that the result is, well, they thought mine was okay. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Virtually everybody that when they do the 24 hour story, at some point in the career, it will have sold. That is what another Writers of the Future winner told me, to which I said, no, it's crap. She said, no, really, it probably will. <laughs> Because now as a, as a winner of Rise of the Future, you're automatically looked at not as a, as a slush pile entry, but as an actual writer that they're going to seriously consider. Yes, and I have, I have felt that I have been getting sometimes just quicker rejections, which is better, yeah. um, from publishers so that they're looking at it faster. They're letting me know faster because my submission says somewhere I'm a writer's yeah. the future winner. I have some acceptances too, but quicker rejections is also very nice when you're waiting to send it somewhere else. Right. So um, I said, I call you my favorite mom. So 
One of your things, which I think is going to be very much of interest to a lot of other aspiring writers, how do you do this as a new parent? Well, I should start by saying that when I first had my first child, so my, when my son was born, um, that was probably one of the hardest emotional setbacks for me um, emotionally, spiritually, but also in my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, because for three months, I could not write. I was I was taking care of another little person who relied on me to live. And I loved him so much, and I was still so frustrated that I wasn't writing. Um, so when you're, when you're a new parent there, I think what grew in my mind was a understanding that I could love somebody who was not me enough to do things I would never even do for myself, such as getting up when I would rather not move, like such as giving from my body the life that they need as I'm nursing my babies, like feeding them off of my own body. Like these are, these are things that like change the way you think. Uh-huh. And um, there is a love and a closeness and a connection of protection and nourishing of another person that I feel that taught me. Um, I think I lost the question. That then became part of my writing. That has now become a, a, a huge part of my writing of that love we feel and the sacrifices we make for another person. Um, as far as when they got a little older, that's when I could write again. Um, and uh, it began with me asking desperately for help from my mother who lives near me. I'm fortunate enough to live in the same city as my parents uh-huh. um, and said, look, if even if I can't leave the baby, I realize I'm going to have to feed the baby in like an hour, but can I put the baby in your arms or on the couch next to you and then go down into the basement and write for an hour before I then pass out and nap because I also am sleep deprived, you know, figuring out a way to make it work. And sometimes that was, I got half an hour a week and that was it. But it was, those were moments that I was writing notes that were just stopping me from going crazy because I will lose it if I'm not writing in some way. Um, Then as they got a little older, it was, hey, can I leave them for the afternoon? And then I will slip away to the coffee shop and come back and take them home and feed them dinner. Um, Then I asked my (laughs) mother-in-law for help. Then, um, so at this point, I have two kids. They're um, six and almost three. And um, I have uh, both of my mothers helping. (laughs) And I have... um, a friend who's got kids who helps watch them. And I, my husband helps watch them on Saturday mornings. And I have piecemealed together time to write that still allows me to be a mom who stays home with my kids because both of those things are incredibly important to me. For sure. So in terms of a writing schedule, your schedule is whenever you can get it? <laughs> well, I have a regular day that uh-huh. the kids go to my mom. Um, I have a regular day that my mother-in-law comes and watches the kids. I have a regular day that my... I pay my friend to, um, the kids all play together and he watches them. Um, so I know that I, like, you know, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, I have that. Sometimes things happen and I have to write a little bit in the evening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I also get up before my kids. Um, I rise at five thirty, which most people I talk to think is crazy hour. Um, but I rise, I, I write, then I, you know, exercise, shower, get dressed, and then my kids get up and I'm able to be with them. So by the time it's their nap time, I am passing out too because <laughs> I'm so tired. But uh-huh. we've synced our schedules to something that works for how old we are and we have nap time in the house right now. Well, good. 
So the story that you won with, which, I mean, I really like that story a lot, Untrained Luck. The, uh, it was very obvious that there's a, a maternal instinct in, <laughs> in, the, in the main protagonist there. So is that, that's how your, your life as a mom translated into the world of science fiction? Does that help with that? It absolutely did. I wrote a draft of that several years before it became Untrained Luck and a science fiction story. Um, and my son was, I think, 11 months old or so uh -huh. at the time. And I think that that realization that when you take someone into your care, your life could alter in ways there's no way you can predict because they are their own person and they mm -hmm. make their own choices, um, which can completely wreck all of the ones that you've set up. Um so I think that, yes, being a mother is greatly impacted that story. Uh, even though they are not blood-related, right. she becomes his adopted mother. Yeah. yeah. And for anybody listening to this, it's called Untrained Luck. It's in Rise of the Future, Volume 35. It's an amazing story. It, was it the, the first story in the it's book? It's the first story. It's the first in the, story. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's guaranteed to uh, interest you, and especially if you're an um, inspiring writer who's um, – Want to want to see how themselves uh, as as someone who's a mother, who's trying to deal with being a writer and um, being a mom, how it impacts that. It's it's such an awesome story. So uh, and and now it's being turned into a book. Yes, I am working on a novel. I just finished the first draft that's set in the same world as uh -huh. Untrained Luck. Can I can I yeah, tell you a little do. bit about it? So a professional mediator must jeopardize the safe life she's built to stop her psychically gifted son from becoming a pawn in someone else's war. So for those of you who may or may not, who may have read Untrained Luck, uh, my characters have aged seven years. So my eight-year-old Leo from Untrained Luck is now a 15-year-old Leo. So you can just kind of use your imagination for how much more trouble he might be to his mom in which this story. Is, yeah, <laughs> which would be really, really good. So, um, now, you, we had a few different things that we went over that um, we wanted to discuss specifically on this uh, interview. So what was the, the next thing we had on that? I was thinking about, you know, for any aspiring writers listening to this, some of the things that have been so helpful to me. And I mentioned a little bit when I said um, I asked my mom for help. I asked my mother-in-law for help. I started asking for help for childcare. Childcare was a major thing, but that's not the only thing writers need. There's a lot of things we need that we would not perhaps first think to ask other people to help with. But I, I just want to encourage you out there who says, I would write except for whatever that thing is blocking you, and think creatively, maybe there's a way someone could help you with that. For example, I just need space to write. I asked on Facebook once for a writing retreat, and I had three people reach out to me and say, you could use this house, you could use this house, you could, and I got to pick a house. I mean, come on, you guys. I told them I wasn't paying. I just wanted a place to stay, and they were so excited to help out a writer. Um, I have walked into a grocery store and seen a picture of chocolate that I thought was so pretty. I said, could I have that? And they went and found something else to put in its place and took down the picture. And I walked out with this huge cardboard thing of chocolate. I mean, it's crazy. People want to help you. So I feel like that is something I wanted to share. Um, when you need help, ask. Uh, you'll often get a yes. That's absolutely, absolutely correct. And another one of your 
hallmarks. I don't know you that well yet as we just met this year, but you're such a nice person. <laughs> well, thank you. So have you found any uh, advantage to being nice as compared to being a surly <laughs> curmudgeon? <laughs> well, I can only speak from where I'm at, but um, I was I was just thinking about uh, connections and ways that um, bring more warmth as a connection between two people. And one way that I feel is very easy to make a connection positively with someone is to thank them for something, something they've done. It could be the tiniest thing. Um, I remember once going forward at a small writers conference, there was a speaker who said something like, there is no writing worth writing unless you pay out the nose for it first. Like it's the, it's the stuff that really costs you that is the very most resonant writing. And that resonated with me. And I went up and I said, I really like that you said that thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he said, thank you. And he handed me a business card. And we, I ended up emailing him, probably thanking him again. And we ended up in an enormous email exchange back and forth. We are still friends to this day. He came to my Writers of the Future book signing years later. Um, and it started with Thank you. Um, so I, I think uh, as far as being a nice person, I think saying thank you um, catches people's attention and brings a warmth and a gratitude there that, oh my goodness, I think we need a little more of that in this world, mm -hmm. maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's one thing, it's one of the hallmarks of our judges for the contest. They're just, personally, I just really like them all. They're, they're such good people. They're yes. brilliant writers, but they're really good people. Yes. And it's, you know, there's, I don't know how much of an attitude people have that if you're, if you're um, somehow or another are going to be unique <laughs> in your attitude towards other people, it's not necessarily good for the long run. And it might be within a, a click. It might be a you know, a, a way to be, you know, to to exclude others or to be somehow or another, separate yourself from others. But it does, in the long run, I don't think it really pays off. And it's definitely not the viewpoint of writers of the future. I would know. rather be Miss Congeniality, right, than yeah. maybe win the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so was there anything else you had on your list that we were going to discuss? Um, I just, it was a really small thing, but um, I've... When talking to writers about, oh, I just want to be a professional writer, um, I just wish I could write all the time, I completely understand that. And I think that that is a, a thing that someone who especially feels like they just don't have enough time to do the writing they want to do would want. Um, but I want to encourage all of you who very likely will not ever have an, a complete day to yourself to write. As a mom who is juggling being home with kids, homeschooling kids, taking care of a household and writing, um, with help, I have help, um, it doesn't have to look like a full-time thing. It could look like 30 minutes once a week for a while. It could look like a few hours here and there. And you can still successfully write if you are finishing it mm -hmm. and you're sending it out. So I just want to encourage you, it doesn't have to be a full-time thing. I just felt like I wanted to say that. Good. Well, that's good. Now, what's your process that you go through to actually conceive, plan out, execute the writing of a story? For a short story, I would probably have an idea for it. Mm -hmm. um, I might have that idea sketched out. Then I would probably get my, I want it to start here. These are the characters. This is the... 
this is the struggle I want to have happen and this is where I want it to end so that I have a, a bit of a beginning, middle and end idea. Mm-hmm. And then I will start to, I will try to write it. Once I have that, I will try to write it all the way from beginning to end so that I can have a similar, I haven't shifted in tone because I went and did something else and I got went from happy to sad and then suddenly it begins happy and gets sad because I mood swing. Um, <laughs> so that really genuinely could happen. Um, uh, and then once I have that, I will get it to a point where I think it is legible and then I will send it to a critique group to see what they think. And often they'll say something like, this was really good until the end. (laughs) (laughs) And then we don't think that you quite struck the right note, but you're building toward the right thing. So let's just help you correct that right there, for example. (laughs) Have you ever taken advantage of the Writers of the Future Forum? I have not done I have not used the Writers of the Future forum. I think all writing community is so incredibly valuable mm-hmm. if only to get you to finish it so that you can send it out. I right. think there's enormous uh, good in that. Yeah. Um, and so if it's if it's a forum like Writers of the Future, I think that's amazing. If it's people sitting in your living room having breakfast, um, that's also amazing. Good. So is it the same process when you write a novel? When I write a novel, I tend to get more detailed. Uh-huh. Um, I have um, I have used the the Christopher Vogler book, The Writer's Journey, to get um, some of the big uh, plot points that the character tends to move through. I found those very very helpful. Also, studying archetypes and um, the different kind of people that the character meets and then has to learn to deal with to overcome internal things um, in the character. Um, I've used that to start my plotting. I outline um, with timelines and here's my midpoint and all the action needs to come up over the midpoint and, you know, it peaks here and then it has another peak here. So I'm very big into graphs and charts. Um, I do scene lists. So I know that this scene comes here and I'm writing through pages of scene lists. Um, I think I planned my novel that I just finished the first draft of for three months and then wrote it in four, if that gives you an idea yeah. of how much planning I did before I got to planning and research. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's important to be able to do that because when the book starts wandering. <laughs> <laughs> it's much harder to wander if you have a scene list. I will say yeah. that. And the, yeah. What, what's your idea of the idea of like, uh, let the book write itself? I hear that periodically from talking with people. My understanding and also from hearing some of the people talk about that is you absolutely can do that, but you're going to end up probably drafting and revising that book more. So if you write a whole draft and then you say, oh, no, no, that's not quite exactly it. This part, yes. This part, no. Usually in that kind of draft, you start again and then you write it all the way through. Uh, of course, that's that's not everyone's process, but that's probably easier if you got way off track on that right. first one. Um, so um, I like to think that I am saving myself some of those rewrites by doing it that way. But if it's more fun for you to rewrite it six times, that's great. I hate rewriting. I want to go, <laughs> I want to have it in like good shape-ish the first time. Yeah. Which is, is what a lot, well, that, I mean, it makes sense because a lot of, um, I mean, talking with recently with Scott Card and with um, several other other judges, that's you should flesh it out and have it worked out. And so when you write it, you know the the first draft is obviously the most creative, is what they yes. they maintained, especially in dialogue 
when you start changing dialogue, it starts getting more and more watered down and more and more not fresh. I think reading it out loud is a huge gift to dialogue. If you have, I mean, someone said you can read it to your dog, you can read it to an empty room, but reading it out loud it brings so much life and lets you know, ha, nope, no one would ever say it that way. Let's let's uh, change that word there. Yeah, and what Scott was saying, Scott Carr was saying is like, have two friends come in and just have them read it and listen to it mm-hmm. and see, can they even read it? Yeah. Because you, you, it's, you know, so if they read it, is it something that they feel like, what's, I don't I, I'd never say that. Yeah. You know, and then how does it sound? You know, so one, can they read it? And two, how does it sound? Is, is a good side check on, on dialogue. Hearing in, someone in else read your work can be quite a trip. <laughs> 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 oh, I didn't mean it that way. That sounds weird when you say it. Okay. Well, that's what it says. Yeah. All right. We'll read it differently. We'll write <laughs> that's it di- right. Then now write it I will be the director and you will say it this way. <laughs> yes. In terms of, of other tips for aspiring writers in general. I think I may have said this before, but a writing community was of such encouragement to me. And finding finding that community, I think. Um and reading, reading the places that you want to be in. So if that's if that's writers of the future, reading writers of the future, it's so much fun to read them. Yeah. Like when I first read, when I first picked up writers of the future and started reading through it, my reaction was, oh, Elise, you're not a literary writer. You're a science fiction fantasy writer. You've just not found your people yet, and here they are. Um, so just in enjoying those, I feel really rewires your brain mm-hmm. to start thinking in the patterns that are successful, compelling, um, and just plain fun. Yeah. When I first met you, that one post, you had, you had one, but you're the first time I'd actually had somebody write a blog before the book even came out. Oh. You know, I'd never done that before. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to remember why I did that. That was like, I was so excited about you and your story and you talked about, did you write something and send it to me? And then just, or did I solicit that? I put it on my blog and I just sent That's the blog out. Was. And you saw the blog That's and you were what like, it was. I think I want to put this blog That's out. That's what it was. That's, I've never yeah. done that before. And I was like, how'd that come from? But that was, it was, I was so fascinated with your, with your article and your blog that I asked that I could put it in, on the Writers of the Future blog. Yes. And anybody who's not checked out the Writers of the Future blog, I can, I'll tell you one thing, like just going to, uh, that just happened by um, uh, Lee Stevens is a really, really good article to start with then. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty uh, giddy in that article. Very you happy. are, and great photos, <laughs> and it was like, wow. And it totally made sense how that story came to be. It, 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 they all like coalesced for me. Yeah. So um, if somebody wants to be able to reach you, how do they do that? Um, Probably the best way to reach me is through my website, uh-huh. which is my name, um, elisestevens.com. I'll spell that E-L-I-S-E-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S.com. Um, and I have a blog there and you can reach out. You can contact me. Um, I'm, if you need to find me on Facebook and Twitter, I'm sure you can find me from there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, well, thank you very much, Elise. It's been great having a chance to meet up with you. I've been trying to have this for a, a while now to, to do this follow-up podcast interview from what we did originally when you first arrived in, in Hollywood back in April. Well, this has been very fun, so thank you. And thank you for listening. 
Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by L. Ron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. And again, thank you very much, Elise. Thank you, John. Thank you.